Welcome to the Live Well, Perform Better podcast. My name is David Duggan and I'm the director of Below the Line, an Irish-based consultancy specialising in helping people, teams and organisations raise their levels of consciousness, inner potential and performance. I am part of a team made up of experts from the worlds of business, elite sport, adventure and health and well-being. We are coaches, mentors and advisors to some of the world's biggest companies and organisations, as well as smaller businesses, entrepreneurs and people looking to make their mark in the world. Our guiding mantra at Below the Line is live well and perform better. What does that mean, you might ask? Good question. Maybe the easiest way to describe it from our perspective is finding the formula that works for you when it comes to things like looking after your physical and mental health, running your business, developing your career, leading your people, or simply being able to show up as brilliantly as possible into your own life, both for yourself and those around you. That's why each week I sit down with a member of our team or an invited guest for a conversation that focuses on the question, what do the words live well, perform better mean to you? This question is a way into exploring with people from a range of different backgrounds, industries and disciplines. What are the practices, techniques, habits or ideas that they use to help them to show up and be at their best in all areas of their lives? Whether that's as CEOs, leaders or managers, or as parents, family members or friends. We keep it short and sweet so that you can extract all the good stuff and get on with the rest of your day and hopefully put some of our knowledge, experience and expertise into play for yourself. This week I'm delighted to be joined by another very special guest, David Passmore. A native of Kent in the UK and long-time resident in Ireland, David has held a number of prominent roles in Irish sport and academia including serving as the Ireland men's field hockey head coach, assistant coach for Ireland's women's hockey team, national development and under-21 head coach, as well as lecturing in coaching science and education at Dublin City University. He very kindly took time out of his busy schedule to talk to me about all of this, as well as his latest challenge, serving as the head coach of the USA women's field hockey team, and the opportunity it has given him to pursue some long-held professional and personal goals. Along the way, we spoke about what it means to be truly high-performing, the role of values and bringing them to life in order to build great teams, as well as what's it like to transplant yourself from your permanent job and your family in Ireland to challenge yourself in a new environment in the US. You can subscribe at www.belowtheline.ie where you can stay up to date with our podcast as well as our exclusive online events and sessions, including our Press Pause coaching community. Thanks for listening, and now, on with the show. I'll just start by saying, David, thanks a million for giving me uh, some of your time. I really appreciate you being here and um, being a guest uh, on the podcast. And um, I, I, I think I'll just start with the, the now traditional question, which is, please tell me, why do you do what you do? Well, that's uh, probably a long and winding story, I suppose. Um, uh, since I since I finished college, I, I've probably been quite selfish in that I've sort of sought to maximise and do what I love doing in any given day. And that started uh, when I left college traveling. I traveled for two years. Uh, I then really loved, um, and, and I kind of have always been in the domain of uh, people development and the enjoyment of seeing people evolve, um, develop, grow, and self-actualize. And then, so I taught, I was a teacher for seven years, which I absolutely loved. Um, and then 
got lucky. I'd started uh, coaching um, in my sport hockey and I'd got kind of lucky. I coached some good teams and some good players and was quite successful. Um, and I got involved in international hockey at a junior level. And quite quickly then, while I was still teaching, I was offered a full-time job with English and British hockey, uh, which I did for seven years. Um, but I don't think I was ever prepared for that job. Um, and, you know, I, I was lucky again to coach uh, many athletes who had gone on to win bronze and, and Olympic gold medals. I went to an Olympic Games, which sparked something in me, which is still an ambition. I went as an assistant coach. And the reason I really have come back to do what I, what I do now, that I have unfinished business. Um, I've never taken a team to uh, a senior World Cup. I've been to a junior World Cup as a head coach, assistant coach um, a couple of times, but I've never been to an Olympics or a World Cup as a head coach. Um, but this whole thing around um, self-actualization as individuals, I then had five kids, so the, the, the family takes priority. Um, but I never really believed I truly understood what I was doing as a coach. Um, so I did a master's in coaching through Loughborough while I was while I was coaching the Irish team at that time. I coached the Irish men and I was a performance director. And then I, I I loved learning about what I was doing. So then I did a doctorate. And then there became a time where I had no balance in my life. I wasn't able to give my kids enough time. Um, and we had some challenges with them. So I became, I, I worked in Dublin City University as a, as a lecturer. Again, self, you know, working with developing young people in their interest in sports, sports science, um, which was a truly wonderful experience for 10 years. But uh, I was still coaching um, and I just had this bug to want to get back and, this opportunity came up to come and coach the USA women's national team. And I, I always said, if I was going to go back, I was going to do it in a, in an environment where I could be successful by that. I mean, this team are this, they will be centralized come May fully. We have 17 centralized here where I am in North Carolina. Now that will go up to 24. So we have a sort of a seven month lead into an, to try and qualify for an Olympic games. And why do I love that? I love building cultures around high performance. I love trying to stretch where a person currently is. And I'd like to think I work enough with the individual about them maximizing the potential they have um, and building a culture which is around, uh, initially around values, but the behaviors that are associated to those and I think that was my biggest task when I came here that I really enjoyed doing um, was to, you know, set standards that the athletes weren't necessarily aware of. Um, and seeing the group grow has been, you know, immensely fulfilling already. And it's that phase that I like, hopefully will be successful. That's just the icing on the cake. It's actually that whole growth and development process that, will ultimately lead to the success of the group that I'm working with. Um, and I believe I've been successful at club and junior international level in Ireland at developing a whole load of senior internationals um, that have gone on to play at Olympics. Uh, a good number of the World Cup, when the Irish women's team won the World Cup in 2018, had come through my development group. So that's what I really enjoy doing. Um, and the same in my family. 
um, watching my kids. I've got a doctor, a lawyer, um, a teacher. We'll have a vet um, and an industrial designer in the group. They've all sort of hopefully gone on to do what they wanted to do. Um, and that growth process has been challenging, but immensely enjoyable. Um, and really this job opportunity came up at a time where I could actually, with the backing of the family, come away and do what I, I really want to do. But I certainly couldn't do it without their support and interest. They all love, they're all involved in hockey. The girls still play. The boys are involved as analysis or, or coaches. And my wife's um, is sport mad as well. So, you know, that has to be said that, you know, I can only do what I can do because of their support. You mentioned... Um doing studying a master's and then doing a doctorate uh, what gaps did that fill in for you um given that you were already coaching at the time um that you weren't potentially aware of or that um that helped uh, you you improve as a coach yeah i think we coach or we teach we people develop based on the way we were developed um or what we think is right and that may not be the case so what i wanted to do was to fill the void around well what is Fact, what is proven to be the right way against what I thought was the right way. Of course, many of the things you do are correct, but you know, I soon learned that many of the things I did weren't the best way of doing something, not necessarily wrong and not necessarily, um, yeah, there might be short-term gains, but not in the longer term, it's not the best way to develop athletes, for example. Um, and, you know, when I was doing all that, you know, athlete. The, the the research around athlete development, long term development, was 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 growing, um, and so being involved in a process while simultaneously studying the masters and the doctorate allowed me to study um, what I needed to. And and I was immensely fortunate to work at, with the Irish Institute of Sport um, with Gary Keegan um, when he was in charge, and a guy called Dara Sheridan on their elite coach development program. And that's where I did my doctorate. And you learn so much from sitting and having conversations and the growth and discussions that you have around other coaches, you know, Billy Walsh, um, Rory, Rory Fitzpatrick, who would, would have been Annalise Murphy's, a, a guy called Kieran Ward, who, who's um, a judo coach. Learning from them, even though you're facilitating the program, was immensely rewarding. Um, and, you, you know, you build you build a depth of knowledge and understanding um, through researching that, that really ingrains what you do. So I suppose coming back to coaching now, I'm able to do it on a research basis, not as I think it should be done, if that makes sense. Uh, uh, both through my own research and obviously all the reading and study you do when you, when you lecture and you research in a, in a given field. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in terms of that, then, um, you know, developing an athlete, I, I suppose I'm hearing from you that there is clearly there's ways that it potentially aren't beneficial. But there is there a broad formula for is it all sport or is that a, is there a general formula that for, for developing an athlete that you think works particularly well? No, I mean, I think if there was a formula, you'd be a multimillionaire in. in the, um, I think for me, the biggest thing I learned is it's about creating the right environment for them to grow, to create barriers along the way. Don't make it too easy um, because it's been proven that if an athlete goes, say, from, I don't know, under 10s to senior international in any sport, 
that actually they'll be they won't have the resilience to cope with when they get there and that's why we often see young you know young kids get to the top level and then they'll falter or fail for a couple of years before they then come back and are successful um so you have to kind of create these bumps along the road and not make it easy um and and help them develop um i think we've always focused on the technical tactical physical but there's the mental side and ultimately you know you watch the golf for example you see those guys it all comes down to the head is the most important thing and that's I suppose when I view players now, I, I look far more at how they cope in pressure situations and trying to create those pressure situations to give them coping strategies or to learn about themselves and to develop, um, you know, to develop the tools to be able to do to deal with, you know, pressure situations that they're going to find themselves in, um, dealing with it, preparing for it, coping with it. And it's been really interesting coming to the USA because a lot of the athletes come out of the colleges and they've been the big fish in small ponds. And we, we went away to New Zealand and Australia there um, the last two months. We went away for a month. And some of those athletes had never been left out of a team. Some of them had never been not selected. And it was really interesting, you know, people in their mid-20s that I, I wasn't used to dealing with. Um, but certainly experience and the research that I've learned around developing athletes that's good for them and it's how they then react to it and it's about having those conversations where you've got a choice here you can either blame you can either look for excuses or you can use this as a catalyst to improve get better and come and prove me wrong um, which I'm always happy and open to do or be happen because if you have that in every athlete in your team you're going to be a better team um so uh so yeah i think that's probably the biggest learning it's not it should never be a straight line of going from junior to 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 the highest level you need to create these um the term that's used is a rocky road that you you create these obstacles through your coaching and ensuring that they have the, the right mental tools as well as the physical technical tactical you mentioned um trying to build a high performance culture and um, strongly strongly based on values and behaviours. What does that look like in real terms, um, in, in terms of the team right now that you're trying to build and develop? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we keep it very, we keep it very internally ours, our culture. So, uh, but I'll talk about the process. I think that's where you look at business. So I, I go off the Edgar Shun's kind of the three levels of culture. Um, so we looked at our artifacts, what represents us, you know, having a hashtag, having something we can relate to, having gear, having items that only we have, and, and they're filled with, um, uh, we, we, we've created, we, we're called the United Eagles now, which is what commentators refer to. Um, and that was a really, that took quite a while just even to come up with that sort of name for the team, um, because eagles represent something that's strong uh, you know and we talked about all that and then united obviously comes from united states but it's about what we do as one together and then then we develop the values from that and then we so from the values we really discussed in any environment what how are those values transparent and what you try and create initially is a culture which is around um uh is known is seen and is written 
Um, and then we constantly review ourselves against the values and behaviours. So is it in the gym? Is it on the pitch? Is it in meeting rooms? Is it when we're not together? Because, you know, there's 168 hours in any week and I might be with them for 15, 20 hours. We're together, but it's more what they do in the other 140 that's going to make a difference. Um, so, so that's an evolving process. Um, I think the athletes here love that because it really bonds them. I think they felt that it was super nece really necessary to actually have it defined um, because they wanted to know really what high performance we, we you know normally when you have a team you've been to you've got athletes older athletes that have been to olympic games etc and, and they'll lead by their and we've got good cultural architects if that makes sense of people who live by those standards um but uh you know this team is when we went away our average age was uh, i think 22 and our average caps was 23 and you're playing against teams if you want to be a world or Olympic medalist, your average age is going to be around 27 and you're going to have on average over 120, 130 caps average. And we're down at 23. So that's kind of an exciting thing, but we're also in a, in a world league of the top nine teams of the world with a very inexperienced team. So the culture had to come in place first so they understood, well, what was this all about? And how are we going to be able to provide a platform to develop and move forwards? Um, and, you know, there's there, there's a brutal honesty around each individual in this group that wanting to get better that I absolutely love. And, and if they don't, they anyone who doesn't follow suit will struggle within the environment that they've created through the culture development. Fantastic. Fascinating. Um, as I as I understand it, uh, Shun's model also, I think there's is there a third element, which is kind of beliefs and assumptions um, that kind of underpin that stuff. And I'm just wondering, uh, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I for me that that's often the area that a lot of businesses in particular don't go into. Um, they look at artifacts and they look at values, but the assumptions and beliefs that underpin an awful lot of that stuff tends to get left untouched. I imagine you've probably gone in there with your group over the last couple of months. And yeah, you're you're, you're dead right. Why why have we chosen? What does you know? One of us, you know, you, you often have these buzzwords like commitment. Well, what does commitment actually mean to each individual in the team and in each individual? And then you have to kind of really build the, the well, well, commitment in the gym. Oh, you can give it a buzzword as well. But what does that feel like? And that's where you need discussions. And, you know, we're fortunate to have a great psychologist who really tease those things out in their groups. Um, and look, it's a process. It's not we've not gone from zero to 10 overnight. It's a process that's developing and evolving. Um, but it's through honest reflection where you kind of, you know, we did a task recently because the third level of Shun is that you do it without even thinking. So our, no, our culture is where it should be when without seeing what's written down, without our values, someone like yourself could come in and see just through the behaviours of the group that they are, it's a true culture because it doesn't need to be written down because they are just living and breathing the values, behaviours which exist. Yeah, yeah. And it seems to me as well, um, 
you know, there's, as I understand it, there's maybe three, and three of many, I'm sure, um, factors that um, characterize a really high performing culture or, or a team, which is the ability to, um, to acknowledge what's going well and, and, and you know, pat, pat yourself on the back for a job well done. But equally, it's to call out the stuff that's not been the standards that aren't being upheld. And that can be at a team level, but it's also probably at an individual level and then the ability to change. So it sounds to me like you're you're trying to cultivate those factors as well and that the team is kind of leaning into that or growing into that. Yeah, I think they're, they're super reflective um, about themselves, but they're not what we've got to now do is build the ability to, you you use the word, call each other out. I, I probably wouldn't, because that kind of has a negative connotation, but I would think about driving the standards in others so that, you know, we move, move forward collectively. And what I've absolutely loved, we, we've got a group of, the, of the, uh, an, an athletic group, you know, when we go out and we do, we obviously do four or five running sessions within our hockey sessions each week, or we run some really hard um, training exercises. They never complain and they love hard work. Um, and and that's that's been just wonderful to feel and to experience as well as to observe. So wonderful. Um um, in terms of the scale or, or the environment you're operating in, I, I imagine it's it can only be much bigger, obviously, than than the likes of Ireland. But what what are the key challenges associated with the the new environment you find yourself in? I think we still have the legacies of COVID. I think, you know, any environment you're in, you know, people being isolated for so long, it's created fears in people. Um, uh, and in essence, you know, compared to other countries these athletes didn't travel and play because they couldn't so actually we're behind in the amount of hockey that we've actually played across the last two years um uh and then uh i mean my i was i was head of sports science in a in in dcu a number of mental health issues we had um at the end of that first year of COVID, people not able to cope with isolation, being on their own, and people dropping out of college. Now, that's it's not as evident here in that respect. There's some legacy of that, but also it's just that isolation period of, from not being able to play competitive games. Um, and, you know, when we are in Ireland, we, we used to play our boys team. The, the senior team would play the boys under 18s, or we can't do that here because there's no men's hockey. And we're in a, an environment where we can't just pick a, a women's team to play a club team because there are no club teams. Um, so that's probably the biggest. We have to create our own training environment in that respect. Um, but we're also um, the team moved about six, eight months before I arrived to North Carolina from Pennsylvania. Um, so we don't have our, our own. We, we train in two different universities. We have a we're really lucky to be able to use a college turf in the south of uh, Charlotte, and then they have to drive for the gym, which is a half an hour drive. Um, it's it's stuff like that, but you know, I'm not going to complain because I have access. That you know, I, I it's not a full time. It's not a full time. Although we're centralized, the athletes aren't funded to the extent where they can train full time. So most of them have part time jobs. Um, and it's just managing and ensuring that 
we can we can push them as hard as we can, but we allow them the recovery time and ensure that they have an element of balance to be able to manage. So we don't train at weekends. I'd rather train six days a week, um, but it's just not feasible. You know, some of them are married um, as well, and and you know, but the job the job's the biggest side. So um, working within two different environments and building a schedule that I feel is going to move them forward. We we were training less than most other national teams, or we probably still are. So it's looking for solutions around that and allowing them to still be able to, you know, have time to do their jobs and have an element of time to recover mentally, physically, but also time to, you know, some family time, uh, some time. So we, we, you know, we'd just come off the back of a regeneration week. So they've had this week off and we said, we'll let them go home for Easter, which was a regeneration period, but have this week where they can actually train from home, give them the trust. So it's been a really hard physical week. I think that four gym sessions, four, four running sessions. Um, whereas normally we do that together, but to ensure they had kind of mental break from uh, the, before we go into a hard sort of seven weeks and then we're over in Ireland actually playing and then on to London and Belgium uh, in June and July. So, you know, when we travel, we tend to travel for a month, which is quite tough. In terms of um, the the title of this podcast, podcast, as you know, is Live Well, Perform Better. But I, I'm just wondering from your perspective, what does that strap line mean to you uh, again based on your experience or based on you know your current role um i'd love your perspective on that when i submitted my thesis um i put a quote in it you can only be better than all you can do in life is be better than the better person than the day you than the day before i suppose that's what i try and live and bring and bring to the athletes it's all about self-reflection and setting yourself goals so you're pushing yourself um, and being comfortable, being un- uncomfortable in that zone of um, uh, stretch, I suppose. Because what we ask elite athletes to do in particular is, um, you know, it, it's not pleasant. <laughs> it's not normal. Um, so uh, I suppose I, I'd like to think I've always challenged myself, um, often without kind of living well, because I've taken on too much in the past. So I never would have just had a job. I had a job and I coached the under 23s and I was assistant coach to the Ireland team and I coached a club and I had a family. Um, But really I knew to be successful, I had to remove myself from that kind of busyness and just come and do one job, totally focused. um, So I could have balance. I can get out for a daily walk. I get up and sit in the light my apartment I've got a swim I've got a pool about uh 20 20 feet away here um and and I suppose so much of what I see in life is around trying to be the best version of yourself and living every day really as if it's your last so do what you want to do in life and I I genuinely could not be doing you couldn't find me a better job than the one I'm doing right now so I'm privileged and lucky but I've also taken massive risks you know I gave a permanent job at DCU for a, you know you know for a contract which is never you're never secure in high performance sport um, so um, so that bit around live well is I, I knew to really perform at this job I had to do less 
just do one job you know get my reflection time get my you know i like to i like to uh, use my head we, we're lucky we get the headspace so my meditation um listen to daily just um just to, and i sleep better sleep more <laughs> so so that i can deliver better as an individual um, and I think hopefully now it was a busy period when we first arrived, there was a lot that needed sorted out in terms of the program. Hopefully now that will be reflected in my performance as a coach that I can coach better because I'm not doing all these other things um, and that I'm focusing more on the key things of what improves performance, which is, you know, the training environment, the feedback, the video, um, et cetera. So you touched on some of this stuff already. You mentioned headspace and meditation and a bit of movement, but is there anything else that you do, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly, just to help you um, stay on top of your own game, as it were? Yeah, I uh, I read a lot. I read um, in, in two forms. So when I was working in Dublin, I lived in Limerick. Um, I would often... Um, I, I, I would often spend a lot of time in the car. So reading didn't necessarily mean a physical book. But I've read most most probably business books, all the common ones. Um, and, you know, out of every book, I have a little black book where I just pull out those those key comments. And I love going back through that book and go, oh, yeah, I used to be like that. I did stop doing that. Bring that back in. Um, so I, I suppose that's probably my biggest thing is is the reading, reflecting on the reading. And, and I think time in a car is my favorite place to reflect. And what I do is I tend to use my voice. Um, so even if I'm going from uh, the pit, the, the, the training facility to the gym facility, I'll often reflect on my training session. Or if I'm re reading a book, I reflect on the book just by a voice, a voice. I'll leave myself a reminder on the voice because then I can play it the next time. You know, if there's something I didn't do well at training or somebody I missed out giving good feedback to, uh, I can listen to that on the next journey. And America make it um, very, very easy um, because everywhere has a drive-through, so you can grab a copy en route, etc. So you you don't even if you go to the cash point, um, uh, even if you go to the cash point, you um, you don't have to, uh, you know, you don't have to get out of your car. Now I've not really been to one of those yet, but um, um, even in my apartment block here, we have a barista, um, so you can just text as as I'm actually doing now for my wife um uh just to get a coffee made and you go they make your coffee so um yeah so so i think coming back the reflections key the readings key um uh mindfulness i think just bringing yourself and i think what mindfulness has taught me is even just when i get up go out in the light and actually look at well what's the weather like what are the clouds that are out there what are the birds doing you know you know what i love the fact i have a pool right outside here what's the water like because is it windy is it you know um because i think when you get into the rat race of high performance sport and performance you, you miss these things and you need to be in touch with nature i believe as much as possible so i i go fishing a bit so uh, um and it's not about catching fish it's about actually just being in a space where you totally break away because you know at the top end of sport you never stop thinking about it you know so you've got to provide those moments where you can um i think the other thing i've done is i've got some really good mentors um really good friends that i can touch base with 
Um, so, uh, you know, um, both in hockey and outside of hockey, people just give you basic management advice around people. Um, my wife being one of those, she's a she's a principal of a big primary school in in, in Limerick, um, and her ability to manage people, I've learned so much from. And um, you know, she'll be she'll be openly tough and honest with me when I need it as well. So um, yeah, I suppose they're probably the key things that 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 I do as well as my daily walks. We're great down down by the turf here. There's a running track around it, so I often get to training early. Um, and you know, do forty minutes of walking before uh, before we before we start. Just picking up on that idea of high performance, because um, I think a lot of people associate the idea of high performance or high performing cultures with uh, bigger, faster, stronger, angrier, more aggressive. And my take on it actually is, it's often about being slower. It's about being more contemplative. It's about being more aware and trying to create that stillness in yourself. Maybe it's back to the old. Uh, Tim, Tim Galway potential equaling uh, potential minus interference but it's actually about minimizing the interference in yourself as a human being um, in terms of what's going on for you um, that side of things but would that be your view or is it am I yeah, 100% and that's that's our approach we're taking um, through our psychologist here she's doing six sessions on now not not everyone everything will work for everybody the same but at least if you give them a menu, they can try each, each, each dish, and then decide well what works for them. Um, and I think uh, if we look at you know the Irish rugby team, we now know that they do a lot of mindfulness. It's not for all of them, and I think you can burn a lot of energy. Particularly, I mean, we went away. We played eight days, eight eight matches in two and a half weeks. We travelled in between for a day, so we went from New Zealand to Australia. It was a twelve-hour journey. Like if you're full on at work mentally the whole time and not switching off, not being able to bring yourself down, you're not going to be able to perform better. What was we the What was interesting is I, I won't say what we do and where we do it, but the Australian women's team were actually doing mindfulness at the side of the pitch in the end of their warm up and starting the game. And they didn't. They didn't come out slowly or or meekly. They came out aggressively, dynamically. Um, so it's when you step over that white line, being ready. And the, and I think if you're too pumped before that, you just burn yourself out. Yeah, yeah. And it's equally there's something about in those high pressure um, environments or in those moments that um, being too pumped up or being in too fight or flight, you know, that's actually where the stillness, the calmness, the composure is actually required. And and that's the challenge as well to try and cultivate that in yourself, it would seem to me. Yeah, that that, that does, those decision makings. And if you look at, um, you know, if you look at, we just mentioned rugby, most kickers, anyone who does any kind of key skill will have a, and they used to call it, um, but they, we call it imagery. But having time to go through that imagery, so you have something, a toolkit to go back to at those key times under pressure, you know, and that's, I'm sure that's why the likes of, you know, Johnny Sexton, um, Johnny Wilkinson, you know, Ronan O'Gara in the past, uh, you know, have been able to to do that. Yeah, yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, you mentioned having read and read all the, the, the business or the main business texts um, and a lot of people who listen to this podcast, um, they're not in elite or high performance sport. Um, so I'm just wondering, what are some of the lessons, if any, that you think are transferable between both worlds? Between business and... And, and, and elite sport, the environment you're operating in now. I think they are so closely aligned, but not just business, education, about environment it's about the environment and culture that you create and I think there's a difference between environment and culture um, but an environment where not being perfect every day is okay um, and that's something I learned through the research that athletes actually like it when you admit to your mistakes so if I overrun on a session I always try and acknowledge it sorry I messed up today um, I apologize you know because that gives them then the ability to go, I messed up today. Um, you know, I should have done this and this. So, you know, that that's partly cultural, but it's about that creating that environment of growth without fear. And I think if you look at the world of education, that would be the same. I think, you know, the, 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 the ability to in, innovate is also really, really closely aligned you know, giving groups of people tasks to see can they come up with a solution that's alternative that you don't fear is also really important. You know, can we design set plays that as coaches we've never thought of, um, for example, um, that, you know, and, you know, you see that in lights of Google where they have these kind of spaces where people can go and chill out um, uh, because that's often where they innovate, you know, if they're building Lego for example. So I think there's a whole load of, of, of similarities between the two. Um, I, I think the other thing, and I, I was listening to a book yesterday around uh, candor. Um, what I've really learned is the importance of creating an honest, open relationship really early is in any environment is super important. You know, um, that, you know, you can have those difficult conversations but it's all about wanting the same thing, whether it's you to pass an exam, you to be better at your job. Um, and that that book around candor, I forget the title, it's candor something. Um, Radical Candor, you know, she talks about how she never was honest with anyone and everybody was underperforming because she liked them. But actually people will remember and respect you more if if you're honest with them. So then it comes down to communication skills and how you deliver that message. And I think that's the same in any environment, really honing in on and thinking about and planning your communication of difficult messages, of hard feedback. Um, uh, and that's, you know, that's an area where if you don't get that right as a coach, you lose trust very quickly. You lose respect very quickly. And that would be the same in an education and, and, and in a management or a leadership role. What is the difference, do you think, between this idea of environment versus culture? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, the, the culture really goes around. Um, I mean, they're closely interlinked. Don't get me wrong. They're closely interlinked. Um, and you're going to really, it's a really good question. Um, uh, for example, we've just built a team room and it's a place I want people to be and relax. Okay. And to create an environment where 
our our culture is easier can be lived okay and the environment is a lot more of the physical stuff that accommodates the culture that you want to drive and live and it's not just the physical it's creating the the interpersonal environment as well um because i think if you if you don't have one without the other it makes it much harder so if we want if honesty is a really important value to a team or a group of people managers leaders then you've got to create an environment around you, that group that allows for honesty to exist where does that happen best when you're chilling over a coffee or something you know space to have coffee you don't have the tools to have the coffee then you don't get that and whenever we go away we have a squad room and that's where the best hockey conversations happen otherwise they're sat in a hotel room with their their, their the, the person they're sharing a room with and that's the only person they share with so if that makes sense yeah yeah it's it's almost to me uh, I, what's coming up for me as i listen to you is um the environment is almost the place where your culture is allowed to find expression 100 percent, yeah 100 you verbalized it better than me what's the one piece of advice you would give to anyone looking to live well and perform better based again from your own experience and your own perspective the thing that i see that holds people back is probably the best piece of advice I can give anyone is to be open-minded, um, to listen to others, to think and reflect honestly. And on, when I say that, sometimes I think we have to think, well, reflection is all about, well, what did we do wrong? And I always say to our, to our athletes, if we make a development plan, it's about making your strength stronger. And that actually applauding yourself and saying, yeah, that was good. As long as it's appropriate is, is as important as finding the other things. Be open-minded to challenge yourself and come out of your comfort zone. I think, you know, people, there's, a, there's an element of luck in whatever happens in your life. You know, opportunities arise. But, you know, if you, if you never come out of your comfort zone, if you never take that, don't, if you never take the shot that you could take, you're never going to score that shot. So that probably sits in that open mind, open mindlessly and, and not be frightened, be open mind to do things differently, even if they work well previously. So, yeah, I think that's probably just, you know, being super open minded and not, you know, I see so much, so many coaches who just coach the way they've always coached. They do the sessions the way they were always done. It's a different set of players that, you know, really think really think it through um, and create an environment where people can provide you with honest feedback and make sure you value that whether you take it on board or not wonderful wonderful and then lastly obviously you've you've articulated you know you've got your ambition to um take a team to a, a world cup you've got Olymp the olympics in 2024 but what's what's next on the horizon for you or what's what are the key things coming up yeah so we we, we come on um the european leg of the world the world league we played eight games. We've more points now than we've had over the last two series of that. Um, but there's relegation and we've come last in the last three. So this is the fourth fourth year of that league. Um, so we come to Europe. We're going to have three warm-up games with Ireland. And then we play in London uh, where we play Holland, the world champions, and Great Britain. 
and then we go to Belgium and we play Belgium and Germany. And we've got to win matches there, um, which hasn't happened for some time, but we we beat Australia when we were away. So I have no doubt that we we can get results. Um, and, you know, the, the, the level of fitness has gone so high now in the group um, from certain aspects. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see if we can add in sort of speed and power to our game that that we won't be successful unless we can we can do that in those games so um it's exciting and also i have to bring a squad down from 36 to 24 before we do that so that's always the tough part of coaching um it's having to make those tough decisions and have those tough conversations decide who's carded and will will bring us forward to the, the so a carded athlete is somebody who's funded uh, contracted through to the Olympic end of the Olympic qualification process. Um, so, so it's exciting times, but there's obviously um, going to be some difficult days and conversations between now and then. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, David, um, thanks very, very much for giving me your time. I really, really appreciate it. And um, thanks for sharing your story and all your insights. I think there's loads in here for anyone listening to this conversation. So um, thank you again and, and best of luck um, with uh, the travels uh, next month and also in the lead up to the World Cup and the Olympics. And uh, I'll be watching out for you, as I'm sure will everyone listening to this uh, conversation. Well, thanks. And I hope there's something that hopefully there's something in there, no matter whether you love sport, hate sport, but we can learn from it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's conversation. We hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard and you want to stay in touch with us, then please head over to www.belowtheline.ie to subscribe to our mailing list and to explore our upcoming programs and events. Until then, take care and see you next time.